Oh, it's so good to see you here today. I'm going to ask that you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, if you would. <clears throat> we have been working our way through this book, and um, the further I go in this book, the richer it is, the more that is there, the more that I see, the more I pick up, and There's so much to God's Word. We are serving an infinite God. We serve a God who is um, incomprehensible, like Dave has mentioned. And we are trying to get our our minds around Him. We're trying to, to understand Him, and we can only do so through this Word and even at that, it takes the illumination of the Holy Spirit to even reveal to us uh, an understanding, a proper understanding of this Word. And so, as we uh, spend much time in this Gospel of John, the more we spend, the more we glean, the more we understand, the more we pick up even the subtle things that are here. So... As we work our way through this this book, I hope it is becoming to you more rich and more precious. Let me begin reading in chapter 16 and verse 16. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. Some of his disciples said, then said to one another, what is this thing that he says or he is telling us a little while and you will not see me. And again, in a little while, you will see me because I go to the Father. So they were saying, what is this that he is saying a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him. And he said to them, are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while and you will not see me? And again, in a little while, you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve and your grief will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to a child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again and your your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. In that day, you will not question me about things, about anything. Truly, truly, I say unto you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing, asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive for that, uh, so that your joy may be made full. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this precious word. Lord, uh, so often we treat it so casually. We read it and uh, get not uh, very far beneath the surface. Lord, help us to help us to see today what you have in this book, in this precious passage for us today. May we glean some truths that will 
encourage our heart, that will convict us to make us more like Yourself. To, I pray that it would be a comfort and rest to us. And by um, all means, may it draw our attention to You and produce worship in our hearts. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, an attribute of, of God is that He is a comforting God. That's just what He is. That's, that's His nature. It's His nature to, to comfort. Now, Isaiah chapter 66 uh, tells us this. You don't have to turn there, but let me just read this. Because I want this image in your mind. How God comforts. As one who, whom His mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. In Isaiah 51, he says this, um, I, even I, am He who comforts you. He wants to, Israel to know that He is the one. He is the source of all comfort. He is the one that will comfort them. Now, in the context of Isaiah, Israel was turning their back on God. Israel was finding comfort in other gods. They were searching after these other gods. But God is a God of comfort. He wants to comfort His people. He wants His people to take comfort in Him. But the danger is, is that we in this physical life take comfort in physical things. In other things. We see Israel obviously trying to find comfort in in other gods. And they pursued other gods for years and years. We're very much like Eve, uh, finding comfort, finding uh, fulfillment in, in food maybe. Or we, we might find, be like uh, Barak, who, uh, who was a, a prophet of God, supposed to be a prophet of God, but he sold himself for money. And, and he was wanting to find comfort in that money. The comfort wasn't in God, but it was in something else. Or Amnon. Trying to find comfort in the arms of another woman, Tamar's own sister. Or Simon in the old in the New Testament, who was trying to find comfort in, in fame, and he wanted to buy the Holy Spirit so he could do these things to get attention. And we are like that. We will we will find comfort in whatever we could find comfort in. That's just our nature. That's what we do. And it's a real danger. It's a very much a a danger. God is the God of comfort. God is the God of comfort. And He primarily comforts us as His people through hope. He comforts us through hope and joy and encouragement that's based upon His promise. He encourages us through hope or joy or comfort that's based upon His Word. His promise. And an example of that would be Adam. Adam, back in Genesis chapter 3. You don't have to turn there. Genesis chapter 3, when God was dishing out punishment for what they had done, for the fruit that they had eaten that they were not supposed to eat, God told them that He had had given them punishment. And then He turns to Satan. And here's what He says to the serpent. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and her seed, or I'm sorry, your seed and her seed. 
her seed would be a man-child to come forth from her. And there's going to be enmity between the Satan or this enemy and the man. And he goes on to say, and he will bruise your head, Satan. A better term is, is crush. He's going to crush your head, Satan. And you shall bruise his heel. And the idea is that there's going to be a seed, a man to come out uh, from Adam and Eve that is going to, to rise up and is going to crush Satan's head and take care of this sin problem that man has. And that was Adam's hope. And Adam had to live 900 years with that one single thought that someday... Someday, the man-child is going to come up and he's going to rise up and he's going to crush this sin problem that, we, that I started. Can you imagine living that long knowing that you had sold the human race into sin? And every child, every baby that was born, he would probably ask to see it. And, and he would maybe think, maybe this is the one. And he lived on that hope and that promise of God's Word that someday it's going to be all corrected. It's going to be taken care of. This, this person is going to come and this Redeemer, this Messiah is going to come. And, and we know it wasn't in his lifetime. And Abraham, God had told Abraham, I'm going to give, make of your name a great nation of your people. And Abraham says, I don't even have a son. And Abraham goes through most of his life not even having a son. But he had to, to base his hope and his joy and his comfort on one single thought that God said it. And I believe it. David, the very similar promise of a Messiah. That Messiah is going to come through your loins, David. It's going to be one of your children. So David, he had that, that one single promise that a Redeemer is going to come. These men only had... Very few or very little to go on. Just a, a word from God. And that sustained them. That comforted them. That encouraged them and motivated them. Um, Job, poor Job, who went through his probably his whole life and he very, knew very little of what was going on in the spiritual realm. And yet he says, I know my Redeemer lives. In his own heart, he knew these things and he, and he took great comfort in them. You know, we have the full revelation. The full revelation of God. Clear revelation of God illuminated to us. And sometimes we don't, we don't take comfort in it. And these men of the Old Testament, they had a single idea. And they would milk it for all it's worth. God said it. It's got to be true. Now, that brings us to our passage in John. Jesus is now comforting His disciples. Now, Jesus is fully God. He knows how to comfort. He knows how to comfort. And He has been comforting these, these men uh, in, the, in the upper room. This would be the upper room discourse. And he had, they had just had the, uh, the Lord's Supper, the, the Passover lamb that He had ate with them and... Uh, uh, during that time, he wanted to comfort them. And he comforts them overwhelmingly. He just gives them so much. He just piles it on. This comfort. They should have come out of there so encouraged, so motivated. 
And but of course their focus was like ours, someplace else. Someplace else. And at the beginning of chapter 14, he encourages them with heaven. He says, no, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm going to take you with me. And, and in my father's house, there's many mansions. He comforts them with um, the fact of the Holy Spirit, that he's going to send a comforter, someone to come alongside to help them. He comforts them with the very fact of who he is, that he is God. He comforts them with the fact that the, the Holy Spirit is going to play a role in their ministry. And he's going to go ahead of them and convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And He's going to be able to work in their hearts. Now that should produce some great comfort in their life. So, so many truths from God. So many promises right there from Christ Himself. And now He turns His attention on these men. The, the sorrow that they're feeling, the anxiety that they're having right now in their lives. Um, it said sorrow had filled their hearts. He had told them that, that he was leaving and that's about all they heard and, and their focus was on that. Now Jesus is wanting to help them to process that. Now listen, that's a good illustration for us. This is a perfect illustration for us today because we need to process a lot of stuff. We have much to worry about. We have much to worry about, don't we? Much that can bring sorrow to our heart. I mean, just financially, it's tight on all of us right now. Uh, I'm hearing beef prices are going to go up. Coffee prices are going up. Gas prices are going up. What do you do on a limited budget? How do you handle that? I mean, we have, uh, we're struggling to keep a job. We're struggling to, to uh, find a job, maybe. There's so much to worry about. We have big government to worry about. We have anarchy, our anarchy to worry about and crime. The question is, is, where do we place our comfort? Where do we get our comfort as, as believers? And how do we process this? How, how, how does that happen? Well, Christ wants them to base their comfort on His promises. And He's going to help them to think through this a little bit. Just like we need to think through these things. Sometimes with the first uh, announcement of things, there's anxiety, there's sorrow that fills our hearts, just like these disciples. And these things, they, they come into our heart and there's anxiety and there's fears. And Now, there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is when we don't process that through spiritual eyes and we just begin to neg- be uh, negative in our thinking and we just continue to spiral down. Jesus is helping them to process this bad news that they have been given. Now, now usually we don't even go that far. We hear bad news and boy, that's it. We just go into a tailspin and, and that's it. And Jesus is illustrating for us how to stop worry, stop anxiety, and let's think about this. And rest upon the promises of God. Rest upon what God has said. And it's just very, he's somewhat vague, but it's very limited, small principles here that he wants us to get. Now here's what I want us to see. Here's the, here's the point. 
The compassionate love of Christ, and we'll see that, that Jesus is compassionate and loving to these, to these men. The compassionate love of Christ provide, provided an endless supply of encouragement for all those who believe in Him. An endless supply. What would you do for an endless supply of encouragement? Of joy and hope and peace and rest in your life? And the question we'll ask then is, and it's an appropriate question, is what, what is this endless supply of, of hope and joy and comfort that He gives that he gives for believers. What, what keeps us on track? What keeps us encouraged? What keeps us motivated when we've got so many problems on, in this life? What, what moves us in the right direction and keeps us there? Solomon said it well. The wise man, the righteous man, they fall seven times, but they keep getting up and they go. They just keep going forward. And that's what, that's what I want to be. And I hope that's what you want to be as well in your Christian life. And Jesus gives us three sources here of great joy and great hope and great encouragement in their life to help them process this. And, and they're all centered on Christ. They're all Christ-focused. Let's go to number one in verse 16. He says... Hope, let me give you the principle, hope is produced from the believer's anticipation of Christ's return. Now get that. Hope is produced by the anticipation of Christ's return. Look at this one principle that he's going to give them in verse 16. A little while and you'll no longer see me. And again, in a little while you will see me. That's as far as he's going to go. That's the principle. That's all they need to know. I've said it. Christ said it. And that's all they need. You're not going to see me for a little while, but in a little while after that, you're going to see me. There's going to be a reunion. It's just very simple. Jesus wants His disciples to rest their hope in the fact that they will see Him again. They will see Him again. Verse 17, though, some of His disciples then said to one another, What is this that He is telling us a little while and He will not see us or will not see you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. So they were saying, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Now Jesus, knowing that they wished to question him, and uh, said to them, are you deliberating together about, these, about this that I um, said, that a little while and you will no longer see me, and in a little while you will see me? Now, the disciples were anticipating the kingdom. And Jesus kept bringing up the fact that He's leaving, that He's going off to see His Father. And that kind of agitated them. And He wasn't speaking specifically. He was speaking somewhat generically, using generic terms. Now, you have to remember that Jesus has just told them, I've got many more things to tell you, but you cannot what? You cannot handle them right now. And He's talking about the future. He's talking about eschatology, things that, that's going to happen in the future. And um, only God knows when the kingdom is going to be established. So he's not going to be so specific as they want him to be. And, uh, and so they're a little frustrated that he's using these generic terms. But frankly, they can't handle the truth. They can't handle it right now. 
They're just not able to. But the principle still remains. And Jesus wants to make it as clear as possible. Right now, for a little while, you're not going to see me. But we will meet again. You will see me. And they were supposed to get hope from that. From that one promise of Jesus Christ. That He said, I'll see you again. I'll see you again. That is what is most important. That he, they will see Him again. Now, they were struggling over this little phrase, a little while. And even today, uh, commentaries are struggling over this. Some believe that it's uh, just talking about just after the resurrection. I'll see you right after the resurrection. And that, that could be it. Of course, they, Christ did see them right after the resurrection. Some would say that, no, it's talking about when He comes back for His church and He sees them when we all get to, to heaven kind of thing and and then they will have joy then they will be able to uh, rest but i think that's i think in the context here that we see that he's probably talking about the whole package christ saw this as a package deal the death burial resurrection and even ascension up to his father because he is going to see his father and he is anticipating that And being restored to His old glory. And when He goes up to the heavens, He's going to send what? The Helper back down. And we learned last week that He is going to be with that Helper. He is going to live and indwell the disciples and be with them through the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Matthew chapter 27 or 28, before he leaves them, he'll tell, he tells them, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then he leaves. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is within them. He is within the Holy Spirit. And he says, I have many things to tell you. And you can't uh, handle them right now. But when the Holy Spirit comes, then the Holy Spirit's going to tell you. And he is active working through the Holy Spirit. So he is with them. He is going to be with them. And I think you'll see that more clearly as we go along. But Christ wants them to know this one single fact that they will see Him again. That's most important. No matter what they go through in the next two or three days, just remember the fact, you will see Me again. That kind of reminds me of Adam and Abraham and, and even Noah and Job and David. They They didn't have much. They just had one little principle, one little idea. And they gained gained great comfort in that. These disciples, this was to get their eyes off of themselves and put it on faith, put it to uh, their faith in Jesus Christ. Keep looking at Jesus Christ. Keep basing your uh, rest and your comfort on His Word that He will come back again. So often I think we're more like Israel. That we just get sidetracked. That we'd rather find something else to put our comfort and rest and trust in. And here's the danger. And I want you to turn. I want you to see this. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. One little verse. It's a huge danger for the church. I think specifically for the church in our day. Paul is communicating to Timothy and... He uh, and Paul is in prison, and he is awaiting trial to stand before Caesar and uh, and his uh, followers, his people that that were there and such a comfort to him. They've kind of fallen away. In verse nine, 
He says, make every effort to come to me soon. He says, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas, having loved this present world, Demas said, I can find comfort in someplace else. In something that's not so harsh and not so hard. Visiting Paul in prison is not such a great idea. Because if I associate with him, I could get put in prison as well. And he loved this present world. That's all we know. That's a scary thought. That's a scary thought for every believer, but it's a scary thought for a pastor. To think that his people might love this present world, find comfort in this present world, and, and go and just leave. Leave. And Jesus wanted to make sure that these men did not lose focus. Look at me, he says. Remember my words. We will see you again. I will see you again. That's more important. That, that reunion, that seeing me again is more important. You know what? Here on this earth, Sometimes we don't even have any place to put our hope. Um, sometimes, sometimes we just have to go through the pain. I visited a couple just last week, and we were just talking, and they, they were going through just a list of physical problems they have. And, and quite frankly, I'm not a doctor. I can't, uh, I can't address physical issues. Sometimes we just have to go through pain. I visit my mom in the hospital, and she's just in pain. She's just in pain. But what's more important than the pain is that someday we'll see Christ. And, and knowing that, we can endure anything. We can endure. We can go on. We can push ourselves. We can endure a little bit more. We can endure a little bit longer. Because sometimes here on this earth, we, we just don't, we're not going to know everything. We're not going to have all of the answers. That we would like to have. We're not going to be in control. And we just need to face that fact. And when we get our eyes focused on Christ and His return, then, then that produces hope. Now here's what it does. Here, let me give you a list of things. This is just some things that I was just thinking about. When we begin to focus our attention on Christ and His disciples to focus His attention upon on Him and, and that reunion someday and anticipating that, Coming back, for one thing, it helps us to detach ourselves from the ease and comforts of this world. When we look our, our look onto Christ, anticipating His return, all of these other things they just kind of fall away. They're not so important. It also helps us to not trust in this world, in this world's joys, in this world's entertainment. In this world's comforts and ease. It helps us to depend upon God. God the Father. We keep our focus on Christ. It helps us to to learn to pray to Him. It helps us to to just be faithful, doesn't it? To just just take one day at a time. God, I know You're in control of every situation. So Lord, help me just to take this next day. This next afternoon. this This evening. And just... Keep our eyes focused upon Him and just be faithful one step at a time and endure. It helps us to endure. It also helps us not to worry. 
helps us not to worry. We learn, we learn that we don't know everything. We, we learn that we're not in control and we'll never be in control. But when we look at Christ, we begin to depend upon Him and anticipate His coming. And everything else is secondary to that. And here's what, what happens in Proverbs chapter 3. We're, we're instructed, we're reminded to don't put your faith in your own understanding, but what? Acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him. Let's go on. He wanted these disciples to anticipate His return and to gain, gain, gain hope from that. Number two, number two, joy comes through our union with Christ. Back in John chapter 16, Jesus wanted His disciples to know and to understand this one fact. Here's, here it is. He wants them to understand some act, the same act that will cause their grief will be the same act that will produce joy in their life. Now I'm going to say that again because that's a little, it's a little tricky. The same act that will cause them grief will be the same act that will produce joy, eternal joy in their life. And he is pointing to the cross in verse 20. Let me read that. Truly, truly. Now he's giving them something that's important. Here's a principle that you need to understand, he says. Truly, truly, I say unto you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. So it's just the opposite of the way it should be. You're going to be weeping, you're going to be lamenting, and the world's going to be rejoicing. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Same act. It's just going to be joy instead of grief. And then he gives an illustration here, verse 21. When a woman is in labor, she, is, she has pain. Now, I've, I've gone through, well, my wife has gone through labor. But I have been in the hospital every time that she's there. And I really very rarely left her side. I just stayed there. And they would put these monitors up to uh, her abdomen and and they would monitor every pain. And I could anticipate the pain because I could count, yep, there was one here and there's one here and there's one here and one here and one here. And I could anticipate it. I would say, oh, here, here it comes. Oh, I don't feel anything. Oh, and then all of a sudden it's there. You know what I'm talking about, ladies. And I could see it on the screen and, and it would happen in real life. And, and she was in pain. It was legitimate pain there. And it hurt. This is because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you, and here's the principle, you too will grieve that I will see you again. And, and her, your heart will, be, will rejoice. And no one will take your joy away from you. Now, notice, first thing, though, that Jesus doesn't really answer their question. They're wanting more information. Tell us more. He doesn't really give us more information. He addresses their need, what they need to know. Now, Jesus is a compassionate man. Now, he, he could be harsh. He can be really rough. He was ruthless on the spiritual leaders that were leading Israel astray. And so he knows how to be, how to be mean and speak the truth um, in love, but, but directly. 
And he was even harsh sometimes uh, with the disciples. Um, when they were showing a lack of faith, he would just point out, guys, where's your faith? But in this scene, it, it may seem like he's, he's being a little harsh here, but he's not. He's being very compassionate. And the more you read this passage, the more you'll see he's just, just laying it out. He's laying out the, the, the harshness and the realities of life. Here's what's going to happen. But he's painting a broad brush, not a, not a whole lot of detail, just the broad brush. And he's saying, there's going to be, this is real, and it's going to hurt, and you're going to be in agony. There's going to be sorrow. The followers of Christ will suffer. We will have difficult times. Our enemies will triumph at times. But I love the word but. But, in contrast to their rejoicing and your sorrowing, they're going to have sorrow and you're going to rejoice. And what's going to make that all better is when they see Christ again. When they come back together with Christ. That reunion with Christ He will see them after the resurrection and He'll continue to see them. And it says they'll never take their joy away from Him. There's a permanence here. So the implication is that He is always going to be with them and He'll continue to see them through the person of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes down and He is going to live with them. And you see that in the book of Acts. They had great joy when the Holy Spirit came down. But he points to the single thing, one single event that brought pain and it brought joy. Pain first and then joy, and that was the cross. It was illustrated by childbirth. Again, he gives very little detail. Very little detail. Here's what MacArthur says about this. and He sums it up very well. He said, the very thing, the cross would be to them first a cause of sorrow, but later a source of joy. The very thing that is going to take their Savior from them is going to produce a Savior for them. He could not be a Savior unless He died, unless He went through the experience of the cross and the death, burial, and resurrection and produced a Savior And they look back and they they think, what bitter, sweet sorrow that they had to go through. But it produced a a Savior for the world. And disciples would soon realize, and they would marvel, they would look back at, at the fact that, look what He did, He saved us. This is an act of salvation, this is a gift of salvation. And they they might not have seen that until later. Probably not. Leon Morris in his commentary said this, and he just said it well. The thought is, of course, that not that the believers will never know sorrow. It is rather that after they have come to understand the significance of the cross, they will be possessed by a deep-seated joy when they understand the significance of what happened and the time that they went through. They understand that and then it produces within them a deep-seated joy. And he goes on to say, a joy independent from the world. The world did not give it and the world cannot take it away. That is right. That is right. We have a joy 
that the world cannot take away. The world cannot, uh, didn't come from the world. It's independent from the world. The world can't take it away. Isn't that a wonderful thought? It's an endless supply of joy. That union with Christ through the, the Holy Spirit when He came down and reunited these disciples and produced power within them was the greatest source of joy in their life. The uh, Heidelberg Confession of Faith, uh, uh, from that came the Heidelberg uh, Catechism. And it was an answer-question time, an answer-question thing. And this was written in the 1500s. But here's what they say. Here's the question. What is your only source of comfort? What's your only comfort in life and in death? And here's the answer. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He is Fully made, or he is fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can be, can fall from my head without the will, without it being the will of the Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ. But the, by, the, by His Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit, assuring me of eternal life and making me over uh, wholeheartedly, willingly and ready from now on to live for Him. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. I think they got it. I think they understood And the question that we have to ask today, do we even see our salvation as a uniting with Christ? Do we see it as a relationship, as coming together with Christ? Or or do we just see it as a, a ticket into heaven? I think we see it so often as a ticket into heaven. We must we must understand We must understand that that union with Christ is also the same thing that produces so much joy and comfort in our life and we need to tap into that. Christ wants them to to tap into the joy of anticipating His return and the joy of that reunion when they get back together. And number three, here's another one, the last one. Joy continues through prayer to the Father. Joy continues through prayer to the Father. Jesus wants His disciples to find their joy in a relationship with God the Father. Verse 23, he says this, In that day you will, know, you will not question me again. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father anything in my name, He will give it to you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive so that your joy may be made full. So that your joy may be complete or perfected even. And then he starts off, he says, you're not going to have these kind of questions when we meet again. Because it's going to be self-evident. The Holy Spirit is going to reveal these things within you. He's going to illuminate uh, your mind to understand spiritual things. And you're going to understand those things. But you will have questions. And you will have requests. Say it like that. We will have requests from the Father. And He says you need to understand that that's the source of joy. Then it comes through prayer. 
But it's based upon the atoning work of Christ for His church, for His body. And we approach God because of the the work of Christ on the cross. Because of who He is and what He has done for us. Now He's stated this principle before. He says, if you ask anything in My name, My Father, He'll he'll give it to you. He'll supply it for you. And here's here's what... uh, Morris goes on to say this about this particular verse. He says, God is interested in the well-being, of, well-being and happiness of His people. They will go through trials, but when they put their trust in Him, He, must, uh, he puts a joy into their heart that can never be removed. I like that. Notice that this is, that this is connected with prayer. It's connected with prayer. They are to pray in order for their joy to be made complete. It cannot be made complete in any other way. Wow, I never thought about it like that. This was, this was kind of new to me. That I receive joy directly from praying to God. And he says it, it's very clear. You pray and you ask in my name and my Father will give it and your joy will be made complete. But it comes through prayer. We don't ask or we don't receive because we so often don't even ask. We don't even ask. Prayer is a great source of joy. Do you get your comfort through prayer? (laughs) I have to say, I have to say that prayer sometimes just becomes another task of my day. I just put it on the to-do list or put it on something I need to do. It's not the joy of my life like Christ said it, was, it could be. And the question is, do you, do you see prayer as a source of comfort? Do, do you see it as a source of joy and encouragement in your life? Jesus said it so clear. And He's given us three ways now, three ways to, to gain joy. Anticipating His return. That reunion with Christ. And that reunion that we have. Uh, union with Christ through the Holy Spirit. And then, and then prayer. That source of joy. Listen folks. We have an endless source of comfort. Endless source of, of joy and encouragement in our life. The compassionate love of Christ produces. That's what He's doing. Produces an endless supply of encouragement for those who believe in Him. How is your focus? How is your focus? Are you tempted to get comfort someplace else? Oh man, if I just do this, it would be a whole lot easier. If I would just do that, if I pursue this, and I could gain some joy, I could gain some comfort in my life. How about this? How are you processing the bad news in your life? How are you processing that? Jesus is giving them bad news. And now He's helping them to process it. And He's saying, remember, I'm going to see you again. Remember, you're going to have joy when we get back together. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. But you're going to just remember that joy. And it's going to be joy that can't be taken away from you. And remember, you can ask anything for my Father. He'll grant it to you. Another source of joy. He's helping them to think through. So when these trials come, what is it that Jesus said? Oh yeah, I remember. He's going to come back. We'll see that again. And He said, I can pray? Yeah, I'm going to pray right now. It's going to be my source of joy. 
in anticipation of that reunion. It's going to be, it's going to be great joy. Do you have the, the right source of joy? Are you getting your joy from some, or a source of uh, comfort? Is it your comfort coming from someplace else? Is it coming from someplace else? I, I tell you, I, I just say that because we live in such a comfortable society. And we get comfortable. In fact, we don't even, we don't even need God, really. Comfortable? I'm fine. Prayer? Got everything I need. Why do I need to pray? I'm comfortable. I've got joy. Kids are around me. Loving wife. Car, house. You see? We can get to the point that we take our comfort from someplace else other than the only source of comfort, and that's God Himself. And He's saying, look at Me. I'm your source. Christ is saying, look at Me. Anticipating my, anticipate My return. Don't get too comfortable here on this earth. And I'll close with that. What's your comfort level What's your comfort level? Paul said this, and I'll just close with this one verse, just in conclusion. He said, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. He said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. He's a comforting God. He's a comforting God. We'll, we'll go through trials. But that's not, that's not the important part. The important part is He's coming back. We'll have pain. But we need to just focus upon Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that You would adjust our focus. Adjust our focus. Don't let us get too comfortable here and turn from your comfort. And just, just get the comfort of this temporary life. Help us, Lord, to not be like a Demas who love this present world. Oh God, work in our hearts. Help us, to, help us to be the people that You would want us to be, Father. Help us to be people that would please You and depend upon You and see You as our source of peace and rest and comfort. Lord, we thank You for Your precious Word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.